Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects, and if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. Today's episode is sponsored by Bowbird, and I'd like to thank Bowbird for jumping on board and supporting the show. I've known Nick and Ben, the founders, for years and seen their platform grow from this small startup in Melbourne to now being all over the world, with reach into China, the UK, Europe, and the US. If you've seen other architects and interior designers getting lots of media coverage all over the place and wondered, hey, how do they do that? There's a good chance they're using Bowbird, and that's because many of the best publications in the world source their content through Bowbird, like Wallpaper, Frame, Arc Daily, and many more. It's very easy to use as well. So if you've ever had a project professionally photographed, then you've got everything you need to get started. You just upload your project and start submitting it to your favorite magazines, newspapers, and websites. So if you'd like to find out more, I have a previous episode of the podcast with the co-founder, Ben Morgan, titled Figuring Out the Architectural Media. It's episode 12. Or if you just want to use Bowbird and try it out for yourself, then head over to bowerbird.io. Today, I'm joined by Ben Mitchell from Those Architects, a practice with studios in Sydney and Byron Bay. In this episode, Ben and I talked about why the practice focuses so heavily on the architect-client relationship and how they go about establishing clear expectations and communications from the start of the project. We touched on why marketing should be seen as a cumulative effort rather than focusing too much on any individual successes. We spoke about how potential clients discover the studio and Ben shared his insights into the client mindset at the beginning of the journey. We talked about what it means to be a curator of a brand and how it frees Ben and the team up to delegate some of their marketing to external consultants. And finally, we spoke about how architects who aren't natural self-promoters can still take a positive and productive approach to marketing. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Mitchell from Those Architects. We started the practice in 2013. Simon and I went to Sydney University together and we're lucky enough to be partnered up together on a, a project we worked on in the Glen Merkett Masterclass and I think we that was kind of the first time we'd sort of worked together on a joint project and I think we enjoyed the process obviously and discovered that we had a lot of, I guess, synergies in the way we sort of approached architecture. And yeah, we kind of, from that point on, had kind of decided that we'd at some point like to look at setting up a practice together. Obviously, once university finished, we went our separate ways and went out into the big wide world and got our architectural experience in quite different ways, actually. I went and worked primarily for small practices and mostly focused on sort of small public and private work, whereas Simon got a lot more experience working on sort of larger scale projects, which was quite advantageous to us when we finally came together. And yeah, we managed to, to score a, a really nice project for a, a tech company based in Sydney 2000, back in 2012, leading into sort of 2013. So that was kind of the catalyst for us to kick off the studio. And that project was super enjoyable. Couldn't have asked for a better client for a first project. So we managed to sort of do something that we're really proud of for our very first project, which was nice, and managed to pick up some awards for it. So that was kind of the, the catalyst for us to 
push on. So was that the was that the Ansarada project? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's or, right. Or was yeah. that yeah right? Cool. So you guys actually started off with a commercial project. I we kind did. of wasn't expecting that. I thought it would have been a residential <laughs> thing. It's interesting, isn't it? How yeah, well, I mean, Simon and I often discuss the trajectory the office has taken over the last what what is it? Almost yeah, nine years almost now. So yeah, we've I guess we we still do commercial projects but we we're pretty picky about the, the projects we take on in that space yeah well and we'll definitely come back to that in the trajectory as well um in terms of how you balance that but also i picked up on saying there that you guys met on a glenn Merkett masterclass do you, do you feel like you guys have taken a little bit of the glenn Merkett, you know architecture firm marketing strategy into <laughs> into those are you following in glenn's footsteps as far as <laughs> building up the practice a little bit is there anything that you've kind of i guess adapted from that kind of cohort of architects maybe that generation that that are there any sort of similarities you reckon well i think i mean those guys they're for the most part well except for peter stutchbury obviously are all yeah. pretty much single practitioners so in that regard i'd say no because obviously we're our practice well it's not a, not a not a large practice by any stretch of the imagination but we certainly do have a number of project architects within the practice that do have authorship of projects. I don't know if you would call it a similarity, but I definitely, you know, love the way that those guys, you know, talk about architecture and they, they kind of live and breathe it, which I guess to be a successful architect, you need to. So I guess that's probably one thing we would have taken away from, from that experience. Because if you love architecture, I guess our lifestyle is wrapped up in architecture. Like even on the weekends, we're still sending each other messages about this beautiful chair that we love or this beautiful project that we love, but it doesn't feel like we're, you know, chained to the office 24-7. And we certainly don't ask our staff to be chained to the office 24-7 either. But on the flip side to that, you know, architecture is kind of, it's a lifestyle for us really. So that's kind of a luxury, I guess, of having a job that you love. I guess operating and working with other business people, do you find that there's some maybe some similarities there in terms of do you like to work with clients? You mentioned you're really picky with those commercial clients. Is kind of them being kind of relatable and, you know, getting along with them, is that sort of a, a big part of kind of what you're looking for? What are some of the other things that you're looking for as well in terms of those commercial clients that makes a good client? Definitely their aptitude for design thinking and those sort of small practices or not necessarily small but, you know, those companies that are really interested in you know design thinking and 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 that have an interesting problem for us to solve from an architectural perspective but obviously an interest in solving the problem with with design language is first and foremost i mean there's so many commercial clients that come to us that obviously don't speak design language <laughs> let me just say it that way so those those the companies that you know are really invested in their business and, and want to you know spend the or have the fortitude i guess to incorporate that into their workplace is obviously important for us what are those things that you might hear or pick up on that you're like okay cool i think we're starting to I think we've got something here well it always helps when a client comes to you on the back of your portfolio so that's obviously yeah. the first positive sign that we're looking for is that people are familiar with our work which obviously then feeds into whether where the referrals come from so i guess we treat the first few meetings with a client as a an opportunity for us to interrogate their motives for the project 
because uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to solve a problem for them, right? So, if it, and, and the way that we're going to solve the problem is through an architectural response. It's not through providing, you know, a DA or providing drawings. Like those are all of the, you know, the tools that we use along the way, but it's not what gets us up in the morning. So I guess, you know, we're trying to establish that, that synergy with the client in terms of the design language early on. And if we feel that there is a bit of a, a mismatch there, then we'll be completely honest with with clients at that point and move them on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I'm curious in terms of the supply demand at the moment. How have you guys felt? I mean, even looking at the last 12 to 18 months, have inquiries with everything going down with lockdowns and state borders and all kinds of stuff, have you found that there's been some volatility over the last year or so or has it been reasonably steady in your experience? I think last year around March, April was quite a shock for not only us but for most of our clients because I think there was a huge amount of uncertainty as to where or what effect you know, COVID was going to have. It just so happened at the time that two of our biggest clients were in the restaurant and or food and beverage industry, but we weren't doing food and beverage projects for them. We were doing private projects for both of them. So lo and behold, the brakes went on real fast. <laughs> Obviously, when <laughs> yeah. New South Wales shut down the food and beverage industry. So yeah, that was quite alarming for us, I guess. So we had a few quiet months kind of in the middle of last year. I'd say since probably yeah. October last year, steadily till up till today, we've just seen a steady increase in inquiries, demand for, interestingly, not only residential projects actually, like we're actually probably doing more commercial projects now than we've ever done. I saw a lot of practices once that once that build up started to happen again, get to a point where they started hitting a little bit of a limit in terms of how much they could do and take on and had to maybe be a bit more, I guess, picky or discerning about the jobs that they did take on or start putting in some, I guess, some limits in place in terms of maybe we only work with a certain budget from this point or or whatever, or maybe we have a bit of a wait list or something. Did, did you guys have any challenges like that over the last, since last October when things started ramping up or maybe hitting that point at the moment? Well, I think we've always been like that in a way. We've always yeah. kind of had our sort of ideal client to the point where you know we've actually gone through the process of you know listing out the the types of clients i mean i guess yeah setting some criteria for ourselves around what what kind of projects ultimately we want to be doing because it is tempting as an architect that every time the phone rings and an opportunity knocks that you answer the door so I guess we've put we've put those processes in place to kind of hold ourselves accountable to each other about what projects we actually do take on. So I guess we've been lucky in that regard that that's kind of always formed part of our sort of practice procedure. Yeah. So yeah. nothing's really changed in that regard other than the fact that the obviously the, uh, the number of knocks on the door has gone up. Yeah. So maybe could we go into a little bit more detail on that on that process? I mean, what what have you found has been a good strategy or what's worked well for you guys something that we focus on heavily in the first stage of our process in obviously providing a fee proposal even in the first place is that there is you know a strong alignment between you know the client's expectations and their 
budget budget expectations and also you know their familiarity with our work we're a full service firm and we don't take on projects that you know are going to be you know farmed out to builders after the da yeah um, so that's something that we're always honest and upfront with our client potential clients right from the beginning about the fact that you know if if we start down the pathway together on a project then we'll also be there at the end which i guess goes to speaks a little bit to our process as well so we, we try and separate out that that first stage that first concept design stage as a standalone stage to really sort of make sure that you know at the end of that first concept design stage everybody's still 100% committed to the project I guess that's a good way for us to you know we've obviously got an inkling by the time we start the project and get a signed free proposal but then by the end of the concept design stage everybody's got you know, a whole lot more information about, you know, budget expectations, all those kinds of critical factors that determine the future of a project. It can be a real education process for a client, can't it? And that's exactly right, Dave. I think uh, that's another key consideration for us in that sort of initial, let's call it dating period (laughs) with a client that you really want to make sure that that the client is well educated about the process and if they're not well educated about the process that they're open-minded to be educated about the process is really critical because if you're dealing with people that refuse to partake in the process then you know the project is basically dead in the water so it's quite critical that you know you establish fairly quickly that the the client is for the journey. Yeah. And do you find that there's any differences or I suppose what are some of the main differences between maybe the private residential side in terms of the going on that journey or or do, do they end up just no matter the type of client does the process end up sort of feeling the same anyway? I mean you still have to go through all those steps with them and make sure that there's that commitment. I find the difference lies in obviously with a commercial project often there are I guess more demands on meeting timeframes and maybe less focus on some of the finer detailing components of, of a project because there, are, there is a commercial imperative for the, for the client, whereas a lot of our private residential clients you know, investing a lot of emotional energy into their projects. So it can be a little bit more of a intense process through the sort of construction documentation stage because there are a lot of emotional decisions, I guess, to be made on on behalf of a client. And that's something that you need to be prepared for as an architect too is, and and I guess you learn that pretty early on when you start your own practice is how, you know, what things to communicate with a client, how to communicate with a client in order to keep the project moving forward. Uh, So we're quite, our process is quite a quite a linear process. We're not a firm that's going to present five or six options to a client at, at every yep. at every stage of the of the process. We we take our role as a sort of leader in the project very seriously, and we 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 we, we take the approach that we kind of workshop things in the in the office, collectively make a decision as to which approach we feel is the most appropriate for the project, and then present that one option to the client. Uh, obviously, there's flexibility there if they if they really disagree with us on on any particular decision. But we we feel it's our job to to steer steer the client around rather than you know present options to a client at every turn. 
If you like what you're hearing so far, please share this episode with colleagues you think would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app? Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. Just head to ratethispodcast.com slash Dave and pick your favorite podcast app. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on an upcoming episode. Yeah, and I suppose if your process is kind of quite like linear and structured and you're kind of in, you know, at the steering wheel, I suppose, in the driving seat. Yeah. Does that make it then easier for you to deal with the different types of clients and manage those different types of clients where, you know, you're stepping out of one meeting and you're talking, we've got to hit this deadline because uh, we're, you know, we've got to be opening on this date versus big emotional chaos in the other meeting room because, you know, something's not working out. It's a completely different kind of atmosphere that you're stepping out of from one client to the to the other. But I imagine if you're quite in control of your process, you're able to kind of keep things kind of consistent and not drive yourself nuts at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. After being in control of your own process, that's critical to running a practice. And yeah. I guess one thing that we communicate to our project architects as well is that every meeting is an opportunity to get a resolution so we can move the project forward. So I think regardless of whether we have a really successful meeting or whether we have a difficult meeting, that everybody leaves the meeting knowing their role in moving the project forward and that includes the client as well. And I think that allows us to move our projects forward in a way that I guess strengthens the result in a, in a, in a roundabout kind of a way. Yeah. Interested in kind of going back to, you know, almost – the beginning where you guys were thinking like, are we going to do, you know, commercial interiors for, for startups in Chicago and Hong Kong and Singapore and Melbourne and Sydney. And you get to a certain point where, and I don't know where this point is or where it sort of might've happened for you guys, but you sort of take a step back and go, now we need to, to get to the next level. We almost might need to make sense of all of this stuff <laughs> so that we can look at it all as this kind of cohesive thing and then tell other people about it. And, you know, usually you do that every time you put together a new website or whatever. It's like, oh, we have to have our message. How do we sort of describe this collection of work? Was there a point where you guys have kind of been through that and gone, all right, what does this all do as a group of projects, you know? It's funny because like, you know, there's so many things to say about that. The first thing I guess to say about it is like both Simon and I are pretty intensely private people, hmm. which kind of goes to why we call, we called the firm those architects in the first place was because neither Simon or I wanted to be, you know, the face or the name of yeah. behind the practice. So that was kind of a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek approach to naming the firm. And we also feel slightly i don't know just our, our natures i guess that we kind of feel uncomfortable about we're not we're not self-promoters i guess is what i'm yeah. trying to say so every time we come to a point where we are talking to you know our team our sort of our wider sort of team of people that we use to help us with our marketing and our branding and things like that it's always an awfully uncomfortable process for both simon and i and i for one like can't even remember the last time I went onto our website because it makes me cringe every time I do. And every time Simon and I get together and talk about which projects are on there, which ones we want to drop, we're just like, oh, we just want to drop all of them, which kind of 
which kind of is good in a way because we're not we're not uh, retrospective people either. We're always looking to the next opportunity, uh, and I think that's sort of one of the hallmarks of our practice. I guess is that we we do we slice the butter differently depending on on the project, and we're always kind of moving forward, which which is an interesting interesting I guess approach to to what we do. I mean, that's so interesting though that you guys are, do feel kind of a little bit kind of awkward, don't want to look at the website, not massively into marketing. Uh, interested in touching on that for a second. Do you sort of look at it as we kind of do the bare minimum that we have to do to sustain the the practice? Or what's your sort of, I guess, philosophy on it in a way? I mean, you, you're obviously always working on getting your stuff published and keeping the Instagram account going, the website, all that sort of stuff. You're doing it, so you're not completely obviously shying away from it, I suppose. Yeah. But I guess how does it sort of... Well, we're, for you. we're realists, so we realise that in order to have an architectural or successful practice in this day and age, you obviously need to be aware of those platforms and active on them. I mean, right from the beginning, we've always kind of believed that, you know, you stand on the shoulders of the experts, whether it be accounting or whether it be, you know, insurance or taxation or marketing or branding that you need, well, maybe not everybody, but Simon and I certainly took the approach that we do architecture and Therefore, that's our primary role in this in this practice, and that we need to surround ourselves with people that can, you know, take care of all of the other aspects that are involved in running a successful business. So we've worked really hard. I guess rather than working really hard on the marketing or the branding or the accounting or all those other things, we've worked hard on the architecture, and we've also worked very hard to build a team of people around us that we trust to look after. Um, that side of the practice and finding people that understand your practice intimately to, to the point where they add value in those in those particular areas is takes a lot of work. The way that we run the practice with our project architects is is the word curate. And I think, you yeah. know, Simon and I both, whilst we're not necessarily, you know, at the at the coalface doing a lot of the work in terms of the marketing side of things for example we're definitely curating the message and that goes for you know the way that we sort of work as a studio as well i think it's a principal's role really to to curate the the practice yeah and that's such a really good word for it because you're 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 curating and you're and you're taking that role quite seriously and i think that's what comes across right i mean you might not looking at like looking at your website but you know your website your social media all of that it it feels like it's really nicely tied together and thought and thought through right so i think that curating role is probably what leads to that i guess in terms of the people that follow your practice and the people that are out there and you know them kind of having an interest in what you guys do are there certain aspects of you know the stuff you talk about maybe on instagram or elsewhere that you get a sense that there's some real kind of reception for or some interest in you know what are some of the things that kind of come up when you're talking about your work that you feel like your kind of ideal client or the people that are out there that are following you sort of really pick up on that and respond to that well i think i mean architecture is complicated right yeah I mean it's a complicated Very. it's a complicated process. So I think our approach to communication with our clients is is again comes back to curate curation. I think we're sort of trying curate 
the process with the client to the point where we not give them as much information as they need, but we, we kind of give them some key takeaways to get excited about, I think is the way that we generally communicate with our audience. And that's not to oversimplify what we do. It's to, I guess, just engage with our audience in a much more direct way. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated yeah. enough from behind the scenes like dealing on a day-to-day basis. You know, you don't want your client sitting next to you in the office all day long because <laughs> they'd probably walk away after after a week. So, yeah. you know, I guess our key messages are, I guess, communicated in a very succinct way on purpose. Yeah, so, so not make it too complicated and give them sort of key takeaways that they can get excited about. That's really good advice. What are often some of those best kind of key takeaways to get excited about? Well, it's like I said before, like depending on the project, you might slice the butter this way or you might slice the butter yep. that way. So, I mean, we genuinely do go back to like first principles on every project we start. And I think that's one thing that going back to, to Glenn Merkett, um, yep. you, you mentioned it at the top of the interview one thing that i really took away from my experience talking to to glenn back back when we were at uni was that he still gets nervous at the beginning of every project and i and hence he's on his a game every project yeah. he takes on so that's similar to the way we approach every project so i don't think there's any one message yeah. that's that's interchangeable between projects because you know our portfolio is quite diverse we we do you know, public work, commercial, residential, uh, and some retail work. So it, it really does vary the message. But I guess the key thing, the key takeaway is that we, we always try and boil the project down into a few key takeaways that we can leave the client with at the end of that sort of first concept design meeting for them to genuinely get excited about. Because let's be honest, if they're not absolutely falling over themselves excited about the project at the end of that first concept design presentation <laughs> then yeah. it's a slippery slope it's from that not point not getting any better yeah <clears throat> yeah absolutely another kind of tough topic which is differentiation and i know this is another one where no one ever has a completely solid answer in terms of you know what makes you different from other architects i mean and and thinking more broadly not just in terms of your clients but i guess people in general going through that process of finding an architect if you were looking for an architect today, like how, where would you begin your search and I guess what would you be kind of looking for? It's a weird one, isn't it? Is, is the best way to pick just gut feel, there's just something about this, this architect's work that gets me, gets me excited or is it, is it better to be kind of more methodical in that search or more kind of, I, I don't know, I just, I guess everyone's got different answers as always, but be interested in getting your take on it in terms of, in terms of what you feel like a good way to go through that process is. Yeah, I think that's definitely. If I was to be searching for an architect, I think the first that's the first step that I would take is that the work first and foremost resonates with you. But I think that's the first step. There's a whole. I mean, the the, the crux of it really for me, and this is the way that I sort of think about every time I get an opportunity to get in front of a potential new client, I actually encourage them to interview more than one architect. Okay. Because the process is such an intense one for a short period of time, or maybe not so such such a short period of time. Say, let's say two years for a residential project, from first discussion to complete project completion. Yeah, it's such an intense relationship that if if you're not feeling like you're getting direct, honest communication from an architect right from the get go, and that goes to you know the fee structure, goes to you know everything 
that you know comes out of the architect's mouth needs to be direct and clear and informative because if you're not feeling like you're getting that at the beginning of the project then you know at, at some point the relationship's going to stumble so if i was to engage an architect i would be really looking to make sure that our sort of values system was strongly aligned that our that their work resonated with me and that i guess i felt completely comfortable resting some pretty major decisions let's face it some pretty major financial financial decisions on that architect yeah basically yeah, it's, in, it's interesting so you know taking that back to sort of the differentiation thing i, I don't think there's a record necessarily a clear-cut way to approach it ever but one thing i do get a sense of is when it doesn't work when a practice can't differentiate is when they have made the inner workings of their studio a bit of a black box that no one can see into from the outside and they haven't thought about capturing those more exciting elements maybe they've overcomplicated things so i think it ties into some of other things that you guys have talked about that Maybe if you just make things a bit simpler, a bit easier to understand, more elements to get excited about, and then open things up in terms of values and process and stuff like that, be a bit more public about some of that stuff. Although it's hard to be, we don't like to be self-promoting too much, but a little bit of that gives people enough to kind of make up their mind a little bit, right? If you're deprived of all that stuff, I mean, you're just trying to identify whether an architect is, you know, your your thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're... we're, we're- we're an open book, I guess, yeah. to our clients and feel like, well, just personally, like anytime a situation might arise that calls might call for a difficult conversation with a client, let's face it, those arise quite often in our line of work, is that rather than, you know, try and pick and choose the sort of information that you're not trying to over control the situation, is that the more you can keep your client informed and give them buy-in into the decision-making process, keeping in mind that obviously as the architect, you also want to lead the decision-making process. But the more you can engage with your client in that way, I think just builds trust. And if you can build trust with a client, then you are a long way down the road to being able to, if you're you know, applying yourself and are a talented practitioner, then then there is no reason why you shouldn't end up with a good, beautiful project in the end. I think um, where a lot of other architects potentially fall down is that they try and either overcomplicate things in the way that they communicate. I'm not saying that we oversimplify things in the practice. I'm just saying that overcomplicate, overcomplicating the message or overcomplicating your communication with a client can potentially you know, be problematic. I guess moving on to some other sides of marketing and I think one one thing that kind of comes up particularly looking through your website but just following you guys is that obviously you've had so much success with kind of awards and media and print media and digital do do you guys find that the media results that you get are really really helpful in terms of what sort of function does it play in terms of you guys getting the kind of great projects that you that you get the opportunity to work from? Is it like an important part or is it just kind of a backdrop in terms of people being aware of you? No, I think it's like cru- It's everything? Yeah, it's, it's crucial. crucial. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the only reason we publish our work is because it's not because, you know, we get satisfaction in yeah. sitting down and thumbing through the latest magazine over a coffee every morning. It's because <laughs> we're smart enough to realise that, you know, our project pipeline 
next October depends on us getting yeah. our work, you know, as widely published as possible, which then gives us the ability to continue to pick and choose the projects we want to work on in the future. So I think it's, it's that's the strategy, I guess. Yeah, it definitely contributes to a better first impression of a practice, doesn't it? I mean, if all else is equal, you've got one that's got all this kind of recognition of their peers in a way, right? Or, or you know, and, and visibility and prominence and a reputation, it's going to give you a bit more confidence because, you know, going at the start of the process, I mean, as a potential client, you're really kind of, you're having to establish whether or not you can trust somebody pretty quickly. Yeah, you? you're pretty vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We take that very seriously. Yeah. And I think, you know, early on in our practices history, I guess, we, you know, spent the first few years, I spent a lot of energy, I guess, trying to convince people that we were capable, which is a big part of the big part of the you know, process when you're starting out. But I think now, you know, I'd say probably great majority of our potential clients, if not hyper aware, at least have seen our work published somewhere. So there's a you know base level of confidence that goes along with that. And then it comes back down to how effectively you can communicate with with a potential client or you know how aligned you are. There's obviously all those factors that come into play that we discussed earlier about whether or not we end up choosing to work together or not. But yeah, it's, I guess having your work published does give you a, a platform to, to move forward from. I'm interested in some of these comparisons between awards and getting published, having kind of done both. If you had to choose between awards and publications, I mean, would you be leaning one way or the other or do they all sort of, it's all just part of the mix? I've got no idea to be honest, but I yeah. would say that, you know, it's a cumulative effect and I guess, you know, the longer you're in practice and, and the greater the time span over which you've been awarded and published obviously gives potential clients more and more confidence. Obviously, yes. if you're, you know, been around for two years and you've won one award, which we were in a position that we were in shortly after we started the practice, then obviously you're in a certain stature with a potential client as to, you know, whether you've been around for nine years and obviously won multiple awards and been widely published I guess it just I guess what Simon and I talk about internally is I guess always seeking to improve seeking to I guess improve the practice from a point of view of yeah I I just I'll just say that it's definitely a cumulative effect yeah and I'm not sure whether you know awards or publishing projects is is the better option but you almost answer the question in a way and I think because it it goes towards this thing of it doesn't really ever feel like you can really pinpoint any one particular thing that you do that mm. that that works and that makes it all work. It's it is cumulative. That was such a good way of putting it. It just yeah. all adds up, right? You just it all adds you up. just you just keep on doing it. <laughs> yeah. I guess the the landscape today, the success of a project's essentially judged on where it gets published, whether it gets published, whether it wins an award. And I think that's oversimplifying things yeah. a little bit. And, you know, we, I mean, we work incredibly hard on every project that comes into the office and probably only, you know, nominate a handful of those projects for publication or awards every year and you know sometimes they might not be the best work that's coming out of the office for for whatever reason but yeah it's funny how you know architecture is judged on the back of one instagram photo a lot these days do you think there's any way around that i mean if not just not just for you guys obviously but for the profession in general do you pick up any hints of 
an opportunity to change that in any way or i mean we're just we're just all kind of in that in that space at the moment because that's where the audience is and well your opportunity to change it is when you get in front of a client so the client might come to you on the back of that one photograph but that doesn't need to define the relationship between the architect and the client for the next two years so whilst the simplification of the message in that one photograph might get you in front of a client then it's up to it's up to us to you know enrich that relationship and and you know, fulfill fulfill the client through the project, through the richness of the process. And that's really where the beauty of running an architectural practice is in that richness of process. But yeah, at the end of the day, it all gets boiled down to one hero shot that <laughs> goes on the website. So we're aware of that. And I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I get the feeling that you guys would, if you picked up on <laughs> sort of an impulsive rushing into the process type of client, you'd probably be like, hang on, let's just like slow it down a minute. I was just going to say the more dialogue you can have with a potential client before actually doing a project together, the better, I think, to the point where we've got a number of clients that we've done sort of or had the privilege of working with over multiple projects now and that relationship only gets stronger every time we do another project. So I think that sort of initial incubation period of dialogue and working out you know, whether or not this person from both the architect's point of view and from the client's point of view is the right person to be working with is such an important one that you know I feel there's never too much dialogue that can happen before a project. I guess the other thing to talk to about that is that you don't necessarily need to be you know, a ruthless self-promoter to be successful at it. As long as you're controlling the narrative and you know, committed to following through on that narrative when a client picks up the phone. I've had other practices on the podcast mention that they've tried not to think about it as, you know, as marketing or as PR, or as whatever. They try and think about it as serving some other purpose. And sometimes that helps to get over that, that uncomfortableness you can have about being out there and being public and posting something to the internet or whatever. So instead of thinking of Instagram as, you know, we're doing marketing, we're marketing to people, it's kind of, oh, well, we're using it as a bit of a diary or a way of kind of keeping track of our projects or recording what we're doing. You know, it sort of takes on a little bit of a different, you look at it in yeah, a different sure. way and sometimes that can make things a bit easier. Yeah. I get the impression that you're sort of similar. You don't try and think about it like super results oriented, doing this for marketing purposes. That's our marketing plan. You're like, no, no, we're doing it for yeah, almost a different, yeah, it's a different, it's a different way of looking at it. Well, I think it's just more organic than that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, obviously we're, we've identified, you know, I mean, architecture historically has, um, you know, been published in journals and I think there's um, nothing wrong with aspiring to be, have your work published at all. Like it's, it's yeah. actually quite a privilege really. Yeah. So you know, we, we were thankful for the for the fact that our work has been, you know, widely published and has been, you know, awarded by mostly by obviously juries of our peers, which is obviously quite an honour. But it doesn't define the practice. It's not what gets me up in the morning or it's not what gets me excited about getting, you know, a phone call from a potential new client is what great award are we going to win at the end of this one <laughs> at all. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's another component of the practice that is an important brick in the brick wall of building a successful practice. I don't know. I feel like you have so much in common with so many small, medium practices that, that are kind of doing this stuff. And I, I almost want to use the word healthy way of looking at it. If they sort of followed in your footsteps and looked at it in a similar sort of way, I'm hoping it would make the process a little bit easier, a little bit more natural and not too forced and not too overcomplicated. I think that might be a good way of looking at it, right? 
Yeah, I think Simon and I just generally like where we like to stay positive. Yeah. And if you if you generally has a, have a generally a positive disposition about your life in general, you know that's going to feed into the way that you interact with your staff. It's going to affect the way you interact with your clients. And yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's negativity that you have to deal with on a daily basis in a complicated business like architecture, but it shouldn't be the pervasive norm that dictates the way you run a practice. That was my conversation with Ben Mitchell from Those Architects. If you'd like to learn more about those, you can visit thosearchitects.com.au or follow them on Instagram at thosearchitects. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.